good. What's up in your life? Dude, I had, I forgot to talk about uh, the last time I recorded. I forgot to talk about the time I died at the, at the, the tournament I went to in St. Louis a couple weeks ago. Uh, okay, so for the listeners, you guys should know by now that I play very competitive paintball. And uh, I was down in St. Louis playing at a tournament with my old team and just absolutely crushing people. Um, I, I, I played division four, division three paintball. And then this is a division five tournament. So the higher the division, the, the lower skill level. But I was playing with my old team out of Iowa. I'm in Minnesota now. Playing with my old team out of Iowa as kind of like that D4 drop-in player. And um, kind of also leading the team as well. But I was just killing people on uh, the side of the field that I was playing all day long. Carried us up to the uh, semifinals. And uh, we ended up like, losing in the semifinals, which is fine. Whatever. Um but when you lose at the semifinals in a tournament, you got to play a match called the consolation match. The consolation match is basically the 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 third and fourth team playing for third and fourth position, uh, basically the podium. So we go into the we go into the match and we are uh, up two points. So it's two to zero. And it's the first team to hit four wins. Uh, a point, by the way, for those of you who aren't familiar with paintball, is uh, you're on a 120 foot by 120, 150 foot field. It's usually astroturf or all grass, and you have the inflatable bunkers. And on each side of the of the of the field, there's a start gate from where the teams start at. The, your object is basically to go push the button at their start gate without being hit. And typically, the way to do that is you shoot all the other team out, and then you go push the button if you're clean. But you can. There are situations where you've pushed you've pushed the button, and there's still been a player or two alive on the other team, and that's totally fine. But anyways, um, we're up two to nothing. There's usually a game clock too, and that game clock I think is uh, like 12 minutes. Um, so basically, you do a point, like a point. Let's say a point lasts two minutes, and then now there's 10 minutes left on the game clock. So you've got to close that time. So so games can really end one to one, and then it's a tie if the time runs out. Uh, so what does that happen? Um, quite often, actually, probably like 25% of the time is a tie. Uh, because usually what happens is like there's get like really long points, like four minute long points, and then it'll be like you know each team has a point, but then like there's like the last point has four minutes left, and then the time just expires and no one kills anybody. Um, happens on happens on like boo. <laughs> it's all right, but like those draws really throw the brackets and the seating off because you get one point for tying, like in the seating system, you get one point for tying and two points for winning, and if you tie. That means two teams tied in your in the bracket, and if you know you have two wins, one loss, and one tie, but another team has like one win and three ties, like it gets like really close and really messes with the seating system. But uh, so we're up 2-0, and uh, we go out for the third point. And my job, there's two sides of the field. There's the snake side of the field, which is like the lay down inflatable bunker that, that requires you to crawl up the field. And there's the Dorito side, which are a bunch of bunkers that look like Doritos, like three-dimensional Doritos. Uh, and I was playing Doritos. So my job was basically to run down the Dorito side and shoot everybody. Just get up there. I played the front Doritos and the front person and in in that, um, that side of the field. And I've been doing that all day since 7 a.m. And it was like 3 p.m. at this point. But I... There's one match where like, I, I get to the, the 50, that's the middle of the field, on the Dorito side, and I wrap the bunker, I, I edge the outside of it, and I start shooting people in the back. I, I think I killed two people, but then I get shot out. I'm like, whatever, I took two people with me, great. I start to walk off the field, and uh, you know how when you stand up, 
and like you get like really lightheaded and you're just like, oh my, and you wait a second and then it kind of comes back to you. Yeah. Um, I was walking off the field and I was turning my gun off and then I had like, that happened to me. And I was like, oh wow, lightheaded, weird. I didn't like stand up. <laughs> I'm just like walking. And then I waited for a second for it to get better and it just didn't. And then I remember like my vision started really closing in and I was like getting dizzy. And I remember verbally like out loud saying, oh no. and then like that was it and then i had this really weird out of body experience where i heard people yelling player down player down and there was no gun firing anymore and it was i was just like i remember thinking to myself oh there's drama on the field (laughs) spicy (laughs) i know i was like i wonder who's down and like i opened my eyes and i was like I feel like the Obi-Wan Kenobi meme where he's like, no, he's me. (laughs) (laughs) I was like looking up and there were like three refs over me, like yelling player down and like shaking me to get me to come back. And like, I knew I like ate shit because my goggles were just like covered in dirt and mud. So like, I just like face planted in the ground and, uh, they can I have a tinted lens, so you couldn't really see my eyes if they were open or not, but I was awake. And then they, they pulled my mask off. And I remember the very first thing I said, and not even like jokingly or like ironically, like they like they say in movies, I was like legitimately asking the question. I just go, um, did we win? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then they started like laugh a little bit, like, no, like, no, we stopped the game. So uh, I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, because I didn't want to cause a scene, right? I didn't want to be like, like, uh, like I don't feel good or whatever, um, because I wanted to finish the tournament. We we're in our last match, and I was like, no, 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 I'm fine, like blah blah blah. And, like I get up, I stand, and I get like kind of like you know limped off the field, and I'm like sitting down, and I'm like just I didn't want any water, like uh, get this to me, and uh, my my pit crew was wiping my hits off and refilling my gun and my air, and then. Uh, you know, give me water or like and my team was like can you go out again i'm like yeah i can like i should be fine uh to do it and so but they reset the players left alive in their bunkers to finish the point but the problem was when they reset the players like they knew where our team was <laughs> like we didn't know where they were uh so they close it out so okay we're two one we lost we you know we lost that point so we're out on the field we've got uh two and a half minutes left on the game clock i'm like okay all we have to do is just hold it down for two and a half minutes. That's it. We don't have to do anything. And I went over to, uh, so we're getting ready to go to the start gate. And I was like, hey, we still have a timeout left too. So, uh, but when we were, when we were getting ready in the pits, I had to like sit down. Cause I was like, oh, I was just standing there getting ready. And then all of a sudden I started to get lightheaded again. So I was like, oh geez. So I sat down on the cooler and um, I'm like, yeah, I just needed to sit. Like I, I just get lightheaded again. So like I, I we the time starts to run down between matches, so we get to a starting gate, and then um, you can't call a timeout in, in the last ten seconds. So I hit like eleven or twelve seconds, uh, and then I just like signal timeout, and so they call the timeout, which means we get an extra minute to just do nothing. So I just sat at the starting gate and uh, waited, and then that time started to expire, and then when it did, we're like, we're off. Uh, I went to my bunker, but I was like, I'm not gonna make any kind of plays. Like I'm just gonna sit here. And I'm gonna shoot my gun and and block people from moving up for two and a half minutes so we can get the third place and go home. And unfortunately, uh, our teams die. Our team died on the left and the right side of the field, so they were able to close us out with ten seconds left. So 
uh, because it was under 10 seconds, like we don't play at the last point, uh, it just goes into overtime. It's two to two. So two to two overtime. Overtime is a three minute point, and um, it's just the first team to if the time expires, then it goes to one on ones. And uh, so like we got to make some moves. So uh, I was like, okay, fine. Um, we get back to our field. We get back to on the field, the last point of the day. And I was like, I, you know, I don't know how effective I'm going to be. And I was telling like my team, like, we got to restructure here because I can't be the front player. I've got to sit back and I've got to shoot. And so I get to my bunker and I start shooting my lane. I hear uh, a call. They made it to like the, the 50 bunker, like the center center bunker, which is a key bunker on this field. Um, and then, so while I'm holding down my lane, I like, my vision starts to kind of like go black. I'm like, oh no, like not again. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I, sh- uh, I have made a decision. I said, okay, I can either black out but on my side of the field behind my bunker, or I can run down the field. I can shoot two people and then black out on their side of the field. So, uh, I chose option two and I, <laughs> I got on my bunker, most of like all the energy I had left ran down the field, shot two people, and then I just got blasted, uh, which is fine, right? It took one, two people with me. So I started to walk off the field, and I was like, okay, this is, it's going to happen. I'm going to collapse. And I um, started to, but then I put my head down, and it started, my vision started to come back, but then, like, I, but I was still struggling. And I looked over at the head ref, and I see the head ref jogging over to me, and he gets to me, I just said, I need help. <laughs> and <laughs> no. he, carried, he carried me to the opponent's pits, uh, the, the other team's pits, and then, like, the other team, and then I got there, I just, like, collapsed. Like, I didn't black out this time, but I did just, like, fall down, and then that team took care of me. And like waterfall water uh, on my face and my mouth and and everything until my pit crew could come over and collect my body. Um, so, anyways, I didn't realize that I only had like one of my teammates left alive after I made that move. So then <laughs> we all died and we lost. We got fourth place. Did I like eat anything in the middle? Not a twenty like grams. I- no, I no, I had a protein bar in the morning and then I had like some beef jerky early, like at like seven a.m. Okay. So you you come back from the dead in this middle time and you you eat and drink nothing i drank something i didn't eat anything well, what did you drink water no yeah hey. <laughs> well when you collapse on a field the first thing anybody asks is like have you had water today i'm like yeah, i've had tons of water today i've had yeah you need the oj man and that's that's the magic thing is you got to get that sugar yeah pass out kid so this is no, normal for me i always had the special seat at assemblies they're like ah that's cody make sure he doesn't you passed out a lot? Oh, yeah. I was a pass out guy. Oh. I felt like I could feel my heart, like, beat in my throat and in my chest. Like, it wasn't beating fast, but it was, like, hard. Like, it was, like, starved for oxygen or something. And Yeah. Uh, so, do you do you pass out often? This is, like... No, it's the first time. New. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a unique thing. So, anybody who does pass out frequently kind of knows that the worst thing about passing out isn't passing out. It's pre-passing out. <laughs> and especially if you're hanging out in that limbo of uh oh it's close it might happen <laughs> i feel terrible i can't hear anything everything tastes like chalk what's happening and then you just oh, you don't I, notice it happen you just wake up and you're like ah i learned this about i didn't know you were one of those uh weird kids that passed yeah, out all the time i'm a i'm a fainter so wow now this was what this one was more scary for me i feel like because it was an exhaustion passed out and I was oh like, yeah no that's legitimately more scary uh, I was like I feel I feel like if something could be wrong yeah I felt like my heart was gonna explode like legitimately and I was like well <laughs> well uh, they still need me out there put me out there coach so 
I I did. I went, and then I was I was telling this to somebody, and they're like, "Did you go see a doctor?" And I was like, "No, I went to McDonald's." No, and, no. Yeah, okay. I went to McDonald's. I had two Big Macs, a large fry, and a chocolate oh, shake. That's. I felt amazing. great afterwards. Who feels great after eating McDonald's? Uh, someone on the verge of dying from food exhaustion. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. No, it was good. It was a good time. <laughs> How long ago was that? From that was, I think two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't last. It wasn't last recording because it was the weekend before that, which we didn't have an episode on, or we didn't record. So, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk about last ep- last week's recording, but I forgot about it, and we talked about something dumb. I can't remember what it was, but being dumb. <laughs> this is a, it was a long opening on this one. We we're like thirteen minutes in, and just telling about my paintball story. I hope you guys found that exciting. Um, but speaking of dying, uh, I wanted to bring this talk about this episode today because. For some reason, I'm seeing a ton of um, agencies just kind of sprouting up out of nowhere. And I think it has something to do with like the death of crypto. A hundred percent. Yeah. Cause like, no, it's like the now crypto that guys are coming back. Yeah. So before crypto, there was like this huge agency boom when everybody and their brother had an agency. This is like in the, in the wake of like Ty Lopez, like 2008, 2009, just, uh, you know, social media marketing agencies, all this stuff. And then crypto hit and then everybody was a crypto trader and crypto guru. And then like now crypto is kind of fizzling out now that N- NFTs have been kind of a blunder and um, all of these um, uh, altcoins are just basically rug pulls in disguise. Uh, so now everybody's coming back to the agency scene and it's the same people just trying to earn a quick buck and just trying to get rich quick, uh, at least in my personal opinion. So uh, I thought it would be a good episode to talk about why most agencies die like I did on the field. Uh, no, but really why most agencies aren't successful. And I, there, there's a, there's a multitude of reasons, but I think, um, I think the biggest, the biggest, really the overarching one is just people are lazy. And like, that's a lot of the reason why people get into the agency space, but it could be, mm-hmm. you, you all, you, you love to say marketers are lazy. They are. Yeah. I mean, well, when you mentioned that crowd too, the the crypto the going back it's the the shiny object people of instead of doubling down on something and really dedicating myself to it i'm just going to keep moving on to the next big thing and hope that one of them would pay off when if you took that time you know that you spent jumping between three to five things and just dedicated it to one it would because of how much time you spend jumping around you aren't actually saving time that's what people think is oh i'll find the one that'll take off and then I, I see it all, you know, you've probably seen it before too, where they say, you know, what is it? If eight out of 10 businesses fail, start 10. Like, what? <laughs> that's so what? <laughs> that, That's like the, that's like the trademark of the crypto bros though. Like where I just play your odds, eventually you'll win. Like that's not how it really works. Well, and I think there's a fundamental difference in how people view these assets isn't the word because they're not, they're not assets. Like true the good assets are the ones that appreciate over time because they're value providing. If you buy things and hold them, but they have no appreciation value, maybe because they're a collector thing, right? To me, I think there's the reason that, you know, bridge people collect fine art isn't, you don't see poor people collecting fine art. There's <laughs> no poor people are out here like, I'm going to buy art and then sell it and I'll make money. No. Um, of course. Uh, well, the, uh, unless, there, unless that art is NFTs. Then you have lots of poor people buying art. <laughs> yeah. 
Did I would, you ever see that that YouTube video about the NFTs where the guy he said something about like he was pitching NFT and then just the other guy just slapped him? No, but that sounds funny. It was great. It sounds yeah. like a video. I'd I should try to find it and share it. Uh, I was I showed I showed Lauren this picture of or this meme and it was it was this guy who had a um, he had one of those board Yacht club uh, Twitter profile pictures and he posted on Twitter he goes post the last image that's saved in your camera roll. And so a guy responded to it with the same board a picture that he had as his profile picture. And I was like, <laughs> I was laughing so hard. Uh, for the listener that doesn't understand that, um, the, the whole point of an NFT is it's not fungible, which means you can't, you're, you know, if you own the NFT, you own the image. But what's so funny about it is it's just an image. You can just copy it and just store it and save it. And you also have this image. So uh, that was the reason why that was funny. Um, yeah, I think, but I think what goes with it about people being lazy, uh, <clears throat> cause it, it, that's all the same crowd. I'm convinced I've not been really, I've not had many experiences that prove me otherwise. So, uh, please, by all means, prove me wrong. But until then I'm going to say that's the lazy crowd. Um, and maybe lazy isn't even the best word. It's just, they're more of the opportunist, but incapable of doubling down. And I think doubling down is what okay talk about diversifying versus doubling down because nobody says you know when you're rich double down they say diversify diversifying is how you keep your assets doubling down is how you make them right nobody gets rich diversifying stuff mm, i hear good. that i hear people say that they're like oh yeah you know they're they're working at their agency if they're in their late 20s and they're like oh i need to start diversifying i'm like diversify what you're 10k ten thousand dollars <laughs> what are you gonna do what are you going to do with that? This reminds, me of the, this reminds me of the thing that I sent you in, in chat uh, the other day. You're like, I'm going to screenshot that. Was it yesterday? Yeah. So we had, yeah, so we have like a, a, a cohort in the landscape marketing space. And um, I sent referral clients to them because like we just can't, we can't accept work until September because we're so bogged down. Um, and I sent it to them. And it's like the second one I've sent to them because the first time we already had a client in the area and we don't do competing clients so um they actually signed on to his higher package this highest tier package so when i sent this new lead over to him he asks do you want like a referral commission on these and i just said no um <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't and when i said to you uh i try to find it here um i can pull up too it was funny because i, I sent it to you and you're like i'm gonna screenshot that and it was funny because uh here it is so I said, yeah, he asked if he wanted a referral commission. And I said, nah, I feel like the stress and effort of dealing with supplemental income that doesn't have a defined process isn't worth it. And it, it, it is true. So like, I wanted to like, kind of tell you about that, uh, my thought process there, which is like, I don't want to have to chase down money or like wonder if I'm going to get money from someone when I send, when I do something, like, I just, I just want to know that it's going to be regular. And, and that's like what a defined process is. And right now, the most regular money that's coming in and the highest amount of it is through our agency. So I'm not concerned. If, if I have to constantly sell referrals to you in order to get a commission, that means I have to do work every time. And not only sending you that referral, but also seeing and following if I get that commission. Or I can just not worry about it and I can send someone your way when I can't take them so I can look better. Like I mean, that's, that's really my reward, right? Is I even though I can't provide that client a solution, I can still provide them a solution. You know, go over here. 
Yeah. I think when you stack on top of that, because there's definitely, I'm projecting, I'm projecting a, a lot, not my own uh, feelings, experiences, but just what I've seen. And I would say that there is a tendency for these people who don't double down and instead jump around to also have a very similar tendency in their interpersonal lives. And when I say that, I mean relationships and that um, there you'll see a trend sometimes where um, they aren't very good at committing to long-term relationships because they get into the same spot of, oh, that's shiny. That that something else that I'm that's now novel, this other person that's exciting and new and not what I'm used to. And then, you know, they do the upgrade or they do the whatever, right? Trophy wife situation. And to me, what I always think is, dude, you've spent how many years building up, you know, what you have going on now. And in the business sense, you don't even have to do that much more to just take it to the next level now, because you've spent so much time building this foundation that you can keep going on top of. But if you leave, you start back at zero. I think, I think marketers have a problem because like, I think what, like what people getting into agency spaces is they have a problem of building, uh, building on and not building up. So like they'll, they'll continue to build on like the same plane, but like have no plan to then move up. Mm-hmm. And and when it's the same people, the, the same the same people are relationships. They do the same thing. Like they just they build on it, and they, but they don't like build it in a direction, yeah. uh, which is where the shiny object comes into. Like, well, maybe that one over there will take me up. It's like uh, um, I can't I can't think of it. <laughs> I was like, it's just <laughs> I lost it. I was like, this is going to be a good video game reference. Then I lost it. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that goes on mine too. With they don't have a business plan. That's the James the the James the same general concept. Uh, is they they don't they don't have a business plan on how to take it to the next level. It's again the the difference between the zero to ten k and then the ten k to a hundred to a, a million, right? Um, those are very different stages. Um, you know, we recently I've been projecting it out, and right, we we just went from um, this will be the first time that we hit the solidified over twenty k MRGP. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, solidified. So. And and like that's that's reoccurring too. So like, the, typically what we can say is if we have twenty k MRGP, we've got forty uh, k in revenue. Yeah. So yeah, for the listener, um, we base basically a lot of we base expenses. We base well, there's expenses because payrolls expenses does too. Right. We base all of that off of. MRGP, monthly recurring gross profit. We don't do projections and estimates and, and planning off of one-off income because we can't. We can't plan on it, and we don't want to put ourselves into that bind of, um, you know, we have to pay something or someone, and the money's not there. So, yeah, we recently just, um, you know, kind of. The, I think the first milestone for many people is hitting that 10k MRGP, and it is MRGP. I think that's the important thing. Is and it's not that hard to hit 10k. In a month, but getting it to a point where it's no, that's your base now, and then you can keep building on top of that. Yeah, I feel like it's important to like always reiterate MRGP because we're gonna have new listeners every episode. But if you follow the, if you don't follow the podcast, we we promote this notion of MRGP versus MRR, and MRGP is just the same thing except it's monthly recurring gross profit. Because yep. if you're especially if you're in e-commerce, you can have a hundred million dollars in MRR and you know, ninety nine point nine nine percent of that is just ad spend. 
Yeah. Uh, Take out your cost of goods sold. Yeah. Right? This is what you're what you're working with. If this MRGP is what's in your pocket at the end of every month. Yep. Then of course you do have you've got payroll, you've got capital expenses, that sort of thing. But so we recently hit the uh, or we 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 are still onboarding it at the moment, but we will uh, be above the twenty twenty uh, k point, and that has been a result of of systemization mostly. So, and the business plan. We actually talked about that recently um, about kind of tweaks that we need to make to the original business plan based on what we're experiencing in the business too. And that's important. That's another thing that I think uh, some people just don't take the time to do or experience. And instead what they do is they just let themselves get into the bad spot and then be surprised like a shocked Pikachu face. We're like, whoa, that's crazy. Why did that happen? Yeah. So like this, and this is one of those things, like, this is a really good point about what, what separates a marketer from an entrepreneur, uh, which is, which is my, which is what pretty much my point is if you're, if you're going to start an agency and you want the agencies to be successful, you have to be an entrepreneur and not a marketer or freelancer or high ticket closer. You've got to be an entrepreneur and a really good point of this, or, or a good thing that made this kind of realization was when we had our talk last uh, Monday or this just just this last Monday, and you said, uh, "Hey, I did some calculations, and we are at 120% labor hour allocations, which means if all of our clients pay us $500 a month, that means it, according to our internal hourly rate of 125 per hour, we can't spend more than four hours per client. And if we add up all the clients that are on that package uh, and divide that by the number of labor hours we have to use through the minions, um, then." We only allow ourselves, what, 80% at capacity? So, um, yeah, lots of clarification here. This is going to get really nerdy for people. But assuming, this is what's assuming that they want But this is, why, this is why our agency succeeds, right? Because we do this and, mm. you know, we're trying to get you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, again, like Jake said, um, we, we are projected to hit 120% labor hour capacity. And what that means is based on our internal... So a few beneficial things here. One is based on our, our internal labor rate, um, we are above capacity. Now we productize things. Why? Because we aren't selling dollars per hour. And that's important because we are allowed to get to this point where if we can get the work done faster, it's still okay, right? We're not, because we don't have an exact dollar per hour thing that we're telling clients, this is our internal thing that we're working with. That's why we can productize it this way. Cause you can bet when people do like software as a service and that sort of thing, or other productized service companies, they're a hundred percent going above a hundred percent when they need to, to, uh, grow into the next point. So I say projected because we're going to have to bring somebody else in. Right. And, um, we'll have to add some new team members in order for us to keep up with this. But yeah, um, the, as far as like our internal goals, um, and we, we used to have someone part-time. Now we we're just working with part-timers temporarily while we're in this growth. No, we used to have someone full-time. Yes. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Full-time. We used to have someone full-time. Everybody's part-time right now. Um, and that it was really the, the, man, this is hard to describe all this stuff. Like trying to do my best here. <laughs> um, it's when you're small, I think I've said this before, when you're small, it's a lot easier just to grow in that way, especially in the U S because there's a big differentiation and benefits between part-time and full-time. So, um, it's allowed us to be much more flexible, but so we want to plan on 60% internal billable 
fulfillment based on a 40 hour work week, but not ideally require 40 hours to be minimum full time. Ideally it would be 32. Now there's a, we're kind of working with this because we want to, um, fulfill different people in different ways. A lot of companies say like, this is our ideal, uh, employee to work for us. Well, ideally we would like to be able to do a little bit more of like, look, here's some more work-life balance. If you don't want to be hardcore, if you do want to be hardcore, you can totally put in the extra time and we can compensate you accordingly. But so because of that, our minimum goal is 60% fulfilled based on a 40 hour work week, which means 25, 25 billable hours. Let me do the math quick. It's around 25. So if you base it on the 32, it's about, I think 80%. What that means is, you know, if you do, if you're working 32 hours, 25 are dedicated to clients. And then you have seven based on internal time to work on internal tasks too. Now that might vary depending on your role within the company. Some people might be more billable versus others. But then the last thing I want to point out is Jake and I do not plan for us to be billable at all. And some people would say, what are you just being lazy? No, it's because we yes. own the business. <laughs> That's exactly we, it. We need to be able to move freely to the places of the business that need work and need to be fixed and need worked on. That's our goals, you know, and our purpose as the owners is to go and find the things that are broken so that they can grow so that we can create, you know, the jobs where other people get to do that other stuff. So yeah, I, if, it, eventually like we're not going to be in client work at all. So like why, why have us included in that? Because there is uh, all kinds of things. There's marketing, there's being on podcasts, there's going to events, there's actually promoting and growing the business and there's research and development and, uh, and new products and training, tons of things that don't require um, us to be actually involved. Um, so that is, that's the different mindset, right? I mean, that's, that's where we're at and that's where we're thinking because that it's, we own the business, we're running the business and yeah, we're, we're entrepreneurs. Well, we had that episode on, on like, you will, if you are good at marketing, you, there will be a time in owning your business that you will no longer be good at marketing because you have to be good at running a business, which is what, you know, how we're positioning this whole thing. Uh, but I, I really wanted to point that out too, because we had to make a decision that, Hey, if we're at this billable hourly rate, we can't take on new clients or else we're going to be even deeper in a hole. And we're gonna have to sacrifice quality, which means uh, some clients are just gonna get forgotten about while we onboard new clients. And, and if we factored in the onboarding time that we had for like building new sites and, and getting new ad campaigns live, we are like what, 220%? Like, yeah, this is not possible. And so you did the calculation, you're like, no, at a current rate, like we can't accept clients until September. And at the, at the recording of this episode, it's uh, April, April 7th. So. Uh, we sat here and I was like, oh man, so like, okay, we've already had like four or five client or prospects reach out to us that have had to turn away. And only one of them like actually went somewhere else. The other three were, uh, said, okay, put me on a waiting list. And so now I'm going to follow up with them in September. But, um, I, this is a really, it was really cool because we can make a Facebook post and we we're just like, Hey, by the way, we're, like, we're closed. Like, thank you all for your support. See you in September. And it was kind of a badass move, but um what was what's even cooler about this and, and being able to say this is i was able to communicate this in the marketing agency on our group in a post where i said hey like i want to keep pushing the envelope i wanted to close this year at seven hundred thousand dollars in revenue that was that was my goal um and we very well could like we could do that if we didn't if we were if we just pushed the envelope and kept onboarding new clients that that isn't a problem and if you follow the podcast you know that we closed last year out at two hundred thirty-three thousand in revenue so going from 233 to 750 is a huge jump. 
but we're already conservatively project. If we did nothing and just onboarded the clients that we have now and ran them to the end of the year, if we did absolutely nothing, we'd close the year at half a million. But if we do that and, and, uh, and, and, and this time, um, time frame between April and September and focus on processes and procedures and research and development that carries us to the next level, we've got like basically five to six months to just focus on that. Uh, that can take us to the next growth level next year for 100% year over year growth. So between last year ending at 233,000 and this year potentially ending at 500,000, that's over 100% year over year. So if we if we focus the next five months, we could aim to get 100% growth year over year growth next year. And I'll tell you why this is important and why I thought of this as more of like a business mindset. Um, if we push the envelope and we closed at uh, 700,000, or let's just say like we fell short of 750 and we got 750,000, let's do some math. Uh, so 750 or 700,000, we closed this year, but we didn't have that five months to create the next set of processes, hire the new people and like really just like slow down and prepare for the next level of growth. Based on our last four years, we could expect to see 20% growth next year. So even though we had like a 300%, we would have had like 200% growth and you know, this year, next year it'd only be 20% because we didn't make those processes. So uh if we take it 700,000 times 1.2 next year we're going to close at 840,000 so it's still healthy it's still healthy growth like that's great but let's just say we stopped at 500,000 this year let's say we get to we 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 get to September comes and we still say no no clients until until next year uh we would still close this year at 500,000 so but let's say we did we made those processes because we stopped taking on clients we can expect another year of 100% year-over-year growth because we made the efforts to uh, scale to a million with the, or to 100% year-over-year or to double with new employees, uh, new processes, new upsells, things like that during that time frame. Next year, we close out at a million. And I would rather close out next year at a million versus 840,000. That's 260,000. 260,000 or the 160,000 gap is still huge. And that's an extra $80,000 to each of us if that's how we broke it out. But um, the the next hard part about that is like, it's easy to say, yeah, well, in the next five months, we'll focus on processes. It's easy to say that, but like, we also have to do that. And I think this is like another point that a lot of agency owners just kind of like, don't do it. They're like, yeah, we'll focus on processes. And then like, they don't. They don't know what it means. Anytime I hear process and people, I just feel, what is it? What's the, what's the movie? Is it Princess Bride? Where he's like, I don't think that means what you think it means. That's every yeah. time I, I hear that people are like processes and systems. I'm like, show me yours. Show me. Cause I don't think you know what that actually means. Yeah. I like a really good, like Cody, you had this presentation that you brought to me and you're like, this is, this is what our business looks like until we get to 450,000. And then once we get to 400,000, this is what it looks like. And there was like a diagram of like the different employees that we'd have next, um, you know, maybe like a managerial role or a specialist role with like another additional minion. And, you know, this is how many clients we have, our labor hour allocation, things like that, what that looks like. And then you came to me on Monday and you're like, this structure actually doesn't work because this was based on like, a, like whale chasing as was what we call them. So like chasing like big clients. We've gotten to where we are on clients who have an average ticket price of like 700 bucks. So it 
we don't need a structure where we have like a specialist managing accounts. We just need more people to execute the actual work internally. Um, and you know, maybe specialists who do like just Google ads for all the accounts. Um, and that's kind of like what it is for the planning. But like last year between August and December, all we did was on our processing and documenting the actual process to get myself and Cody literally completely out of onboarding as much as possible to where we set an Eva can be handed an agreement or a client contract and just be like, all right, go. And, you know, three weeks later, we've got a site up and running. And, and it, it pretty much is to that point with a couple of different, like minor details that sometimes Cody and I need to get involved in. But then the next phase of this is the actual execution, like the monthly marketing. Cause right now Eva and Lisa are, have been personally trained, trained by Cody and myself, but that's not scalable. We mm-hmm. cannot trust we set an Eva to train the new people because now it's a game of telephone and the processes are going to get worse and worse and worse. So what Cody and I need to do is actually document the processes firsthand and then make sure the new hires can follow it the way that we intended them to be followed. And then that's where we start scaling. Oh, good. This is heavy. This I can, <laughs> Jake, you okay with doing a longer one? Cause I, I feel like I can give people a lot more. Yeah. 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 I think I, I'm okay with that. I don't know if they are, but I, yeah, I, but I also feel like I, like I don't, I explain things in multiple ways because I've, I'm scared that I'm going to lose the listener. Uh, I know I'm terrible at, you'll ask, people ask me a question, answer like a politician. They're like, <laughs> what about this? I'm like, oh, actually, let me tell you about this. And then I It's just the nature of an SEO. <laughs> yeah. And because I'm, I'm non-committal in many ways. But, I, uh, say, something. Say, say what you're going to say. Okay. I wrote down uh, quite a few things. And uh, the first is that I think it's important to remember if you're listening to this, you're probably bootstrapped, right? Like us. Um, What's bootstrapped mean? You aren't borrowing other people's money to start your business. Or if you are, you're not taking it in a VC way. Right? Maybe, maybe it's something as simple. Well, one, this is a pop. This is a, this is a very politician answer. So I'll, <laughs> I'll answer it. Bootstrap means that you're doing everything or yeah, that you have somebody with you and you two are doing everything. So like, Eva and Lisa are very bootstrapped in the onboarding process. They're like handling not only setting up the site, but writing the content, placing the images. You don't have like specialty roles for that. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I mean primarily from a money point of view. Oh, like because, you're you're strapped for cash. Um, you you are man. Okay, I'm getting spicy. Um, <laughs> I don't. I really don't. I'm extremely fiscally conservative. Okay. Um, I don't without very good reason believe in debt right and especially in business um well one if you're going to take out debt it needs to be for an asset especially an appreciating one in that appreciates at a rate faster than you know your interest and that sort of thing um but so my point about this is that's it's a very different crowd when you go to i'm doing a business with other people's money i don't mean the bank I mean, other individual investors and things like that, where you're accountable to them with board meetings and quarterly reports and that sort of stuff. That's a completely different crowd than I'm doing this. And the only way I get to grow is if the business grows. There's no cash infusion here, right? The business has to see success in order for it to go to the next level. So the the motto of the Silicon Valley cash infused business is move fast and break things. And I want you to focus on the second part and just remember, if you move too fast, you will break things. And there's a very different 
repercussion and ramification when you're bootstrapped to breaking things, then VC cash infused, my market is everybody in the world kind of thing. Because if we do a bad job with the wrong people in our industry, there will be ramifications, right? Not saying completely detrimental, but it's a very different, um, it will have a much bigger impact on us than, you know, Comcast just being like, ah, oh, yeah, we pissed off a customer. <laughs> yeah. That's well, we've got a semi competitor um, that has burned a lot of bridges in the industry already. And like they're, they're specific to the landscaping community and like they, they brought a top dogs bridge down and then they're slowly lighting their other bridges on fire. So, I mean, yeah, if we do a bad, I mean, we had to do this and we've talked about, um, the, the influencer in our industry that we've kind of partnered with and done ads with, and we just sent him an email you did this morning at midnight and you're like, Hey, I think you should stop services with us because <laughs> yeah. he wasn't getting the results. I mean, it's a different market and like, and we've suggested things that were kind of, you know, he's got to change his business model a little bit in order for the ads that we're producing to actually be successful based on the audience that's available. And, you know, if he's going to keep paying us money and not making those changes, he, you know, that's up to him, but we wanted to be the first ones to point that out instead of him. Yep. Yeah. We mutual profitability is a thing. So then when we see it, we tell clients before they're the ones to fire us. Right. I mean, we, we tell them like, look, this doesn't look good. We don't want you to want, we don't want you guys to be the ones telling us this doesn't look good because we can see it too. Cause we, we both agree, we agreed on what success is. So, um, yeah, but so my point there is when it's, when you're bootstrapped, when it's your business and you're small, people associate the business with you, even if it's not a personal brand, even if it's, you know, my business is legally separate, it has its own thing. You early on the relationships that you build, people are working with you and they're happy to be working with you and they know your name and that's how that works. So when you drop the ball and you break stuff, it's not your company that did a bad job. You did, and you have to live with that. So think about that when you want to, you know, move too fast and break things is you have to deal with the collateral damage. So make sure you're at a point where find the equilibrium. I'm going to grow hundred percent. Everybody wants to grow. Let's, let's grow. Let's do that. But make sure that you're not hurting people too much along the way, right? Find your acceptable margin for error, um, and work with that, but don't, yeah. I mean, cause just, it's easy to be like, oh, these are all numbers and these businesses, but they're people and their businesses are real and their families rely on the money. And you know, that's the important stuff to remember. I think setting realistic expectations for like revenue goals is good too. Like, you know, you and I are at, I mean, we're going to hit five years in business and probably hit a million, I think after our fifth year. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not even at the six figure mark, I, I want to put, if you do everything right and safe and like the way that we do it, you are five years from hitting a million. And like, I think a lot of people try to hit that mark in like year two or like year three. And if they don't, like they're upset or like they try to hit it in year one, it's not going to happen you are a minimum five years from hitting that. So put that timeline into perspective and make and that's sure- that's good. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah, that's really good. Like, if, I mean, 10, hitting, hitting a million in 10 years is still impressive. Um, it, you know, not like we're tooting our own horn, but I'm just saying like the expectation is not you hit a million in two years. A lot of these gurus that are promoting that and the fake agencies, they, they didn't hit a million on their agency. They hit a million by selling you a course and selling everybody else a course. Yeah. Like that's how they hit a million. Uh, not what the agency they're trying to sell you. So, uh, if, if you're listening to this and you're like disheartened because you're like six months a year and you don't even have a client, like I didn't have a client for 18 months. 
So just make sure your first three years really count and that you're, you're building something up. You don't have to make a lot of money. You just have to, you have to build that foundation that we were talking about earlier. But I wanted to say this because I mentioned it before the podcast and, and, uh, you laughed at it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I said, so if you, if you want to start a business, regardless of what it is, you have to be an entrepreneur first. Otherwise you're either just a freelancer or an exploiter. Okay. So I'll explain what I mean. I'll explain what I mean because most people who go into entrepreneurship and especially in the agency, in the agency industry is if there are freelancers. So like they did, like they do like copywriting or they do SEO or Google ads or social media and they do that as themselves. Um, you know, I am Jake Hunley. I am, I am, you know, pay me to run your, uh, or do your SEO. Like I, I, that's a freelancer. Um, you can do that forever, but then you're limited by your time because you're the only one doing it. When you're an agency, now you're basically establishing the precedence that you're going to grow this to beyond just you. And you're going to have other people doing this for you. And in order to do that, you have to be an entrepreneur and a business owner, and you have to kind of forget about your freelancing life because you've got to start creating systems and processes. Um, the, the flip side of that is if you get in the agency space and you are a freelancer, and I've, that's, this is where you were laughing. I call them exploiters because you're not the one that's actually doing the work. You're just paying someone else to do the work, whether it's a white label or some guy in India, like, um, or girl, but, um, it, you're, ex- that's, that's it, right? You don't actually know what you're doing. That's why you're paying someone else to do it. And if, if that's fine, if that's a business model, but like, I personally don't agree with the model at all. Like, I just think it's, I think it's destined to fail. If you if you have an agency model and you came to me and you're like, hey, it's gonna, I have an idea. It's gonna be super profitable, and we're gonna outsource all the labor to the Middle East. I'd be like, nope, I'm out, <laughs> because it might be super profitable for one person for like a year or two, but then it's not gonna grow past that. Uh, I I just I highly highly doubt it. Uh, and well, if it's positioned that way, that's that's what the problem is to me. Is the kind of people who want to say it that way, like, hey, bud listen up here's my idea right we're gonna do this and then we're gonna push it out to the middle like come the on. problem is is like if <laughs> if it's not positioned that way and you like and you didn't position it that way it, i feel like it would be mostly in-house like I, I don't i don't see a world where you're you're wanting to push things out to the middle east in order to not be like more profitable yeah i think well yeah i think it's it's very especially traditional American businessman. I, I, being in Iowa city now, I think I've identified us as pretty compassionate capitalists is how I would describe it. <laughs> compassionate capitalists. Yeah. You know, <laughs> because I, I have to remind people here, Iowa city compared to the rest of Iowa is very liberal and I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm here for it. I like it, but you know, there are some people, I am a businessman, right? So when I'm having conversations with them, I have to job, I have to stop them and just remind them like, just so you know. I own a business. business and I am a capitalist by definition. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's I, helpful. We're probably going to get some batteries. I feel like, yeah, I also feel like my, my like, um, outsourcing to like the second and third world countries is very like, um, it's a hot take, but it's also like, I, there's just too much of, you mentioned earlier that not in this episode, but you mentioned that I have no respect for um, bullshitters and I have no reason to believe you're not bullshitting me. Mm. And that's like very much how I approach other agencies and other like marketers out there. 
And so when I see the agency model of like, yeah, I outsource everything to the Middle East, I'm like, okay, so I have no reason to believe you're not a bullshitter. So like I automatically just don't respect, or I'm not going to give you respect. It's not that I don't respect my, you. You're just not going to get it from me. My beef is the positioning of it. Cause it's like, okay, who are they? Do you know them? Do you know them personally? Have you been there? Do you talk to them? Like, I don't, I don't care who or where your team is. I do care that they're your team and that they're not just somebody that you are completely outsourcing and you don't care about their lives and you're not involved. They're like, do you know them intimately isn't the word? Do you know them closely? Yeah. Right? I, you... I took a strong position on this when we hired, decided to hire Lisa because I was like, mm-hmm. even though she's in Colombia, I'm not going to, I don't want to pay her what American would pay a Colombian. Like I want to pay her what she would make if she lived here. Mm-hmm. And that's the same. Like, even if we have had someone in, in India to do the same thing, like, no, you'd make, you make the Evergrow wage. You don't make the Evergrow paying an Indian wage. Yep. You're on the team. You're on the team. That's how we do it. So wherever you are, yeah. you're you're in and you're included. So I mean, yeah, if you're paying someone overseas for a lower wage, you by definition, you are exploiting. Like, I mean, I don't know how to... So I'm sorry, there isn't a nice way to say it. <laughs> like, that's just the way it is. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we've talked to um, On Top, right? Um, where they've said basically that... Um, they do have some people that come to them and are very straightforward and honest that that is what they're, you know, trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little political issue. I don't want to go. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're 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 free to do that, and I'm not gonna like if you're like honest about it. Like, I'm not gonna judge you. I don't really care. But I, that's just not my motto. That's not my mantra. I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, uh, I my beef with it is more that uh, I just don't jive with the the type of business people who want to. It, it's the approach to it. Meant, like to me, because I, I like small teams. I like knowing who I'm working with. I, I like genuinely getting to know them. We're Jake and I both aren't good fans of the whole handoff to a contractor, have them do it, get very mad at them if they don't. Like we, we do have interpersonal relationships with these sorts of people. And when I see business people who don't, I do, I think it's because something else is wrong too in their lives. Like it, it's, it's the crypto chasers. It's the trophy wife upgraders that whole crowd of you know look there's some deep-rooted issues <laughs> and I, that, I think it's, it's enough the, of a red flag for me to be like i don't think i want to work with this yeah i think it's just i think i think the primary like personal trait is just selfishness or just our narcissism they just really just care about themselves and like the, the deeper profit and like we're like i like i fought when we were uh i don't really i didn't really have to fight for it but it was something that i brought up when we were doing our benefits so i was like i want paternity leave like i want dads to also have the same, uh, you know, maternity leave that the, uh, the, the mothers get. And, mm-hmm. um, it's easier for us because we're a remote agency and like we can divvy out work easier. So when it comes to time off and benefits, it's easier, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to, it's weird. I want to create like, uh, a very like social, uh, I was like a, a socialist, very, yeah, like a, like a socialistic capitalist company yeah. because I want to prove it can be done in a capitalistic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, cause I'm, I'm no, I'm not remotely a fan of like traditional, like, like socialism or communist. obviously I'm very anti, this is getting political, but if I, if you can prove, oh, we have a balance, but yeah, if you can prove, if you can prove that like social welfare, welfare works in a capitalist environment, oh my God, you're going to shut down so many arguments. It's not even going to be funny. <laughs> so we, I, I want to talk about this more. So a, a few things we I want to talk about the business plan because these are that sort of stuff, the benefits and the welfare. Those are things that we had planned for because they were in the business plan. 
even though we don't have any full time right now and we're not actively doing it, we have it planned for and accounted for and we do have a plan for it. Um, the other thing is this is going to get long and I want to bring up that. That's what she said. We probably won't have done one this long before. And that's what she said. If you like it, leave a review um, because we haven't had reviews in a while. We haven't had any new ones. So mm-hmm. um, no, it's good to know what we're doing well. So a few things, just leave one, leaving a review on like Spotify or Apple is good because it gets more people to listen, which, you know, is positive feedback for us to, to keep doing this and give us more topics to the other thing is just tell us on the website, send us a message and say, you know, what you like or what areas with that we can improve. So this will be a little bit of an experiment. So also anyway, one of the big things that kills agencies too, is when you don't leave a review for this podcast, like. <laughs> <laughs> like if if you're in year three of your agency and you haven't left a review on this podcast, you will fail in two years. Like you will not have one, and, and that's just the way the world works. Yep. So you have to. <laughs> okay. Um, the business plan. So yeah, I this was back in 2019 when we no 2018 when we originally uh, got started. Or no, there was a revision. We had one original business plan, and then I did a second one once um we were approaching the 10k point so um in there i when jake and i met on monday i told him and i talked about like that business plan was based on my experience working at other agencies and what i had learned from them and i'm trying to adapt it for the way that we would do things and so um we originally in the plan had uh for every three billable people we can do one of two things we can hire a support team and get somebody who's not billable to help out with admin tasks, uh, or uh, kind of make somebody a team leader, a manager, and then increase their pay. Um, so that that was the original plan. And based off of what I knew in the agencies that I had worked at, it would work very well. Uh, but there was something I didn't account for. And after our podcast uh, interview with Skylar, um, it really was called to my attention. I thought about it for you know, a while. And I realized that the, the entrepreneurs that I'd worked for in the past were whale chasers. And Jake, you said what that is. They want bigger and bigger clients. And it's, it's not bad. It's those guys are competitive and that's, they'll say it themselves. They're like, it's fun. I like winning that sort of thing. I'm not saying I'm not competitive, but, uh, that is like where they get their thrills is going after the next big client. Um, and I, that's a very entrepreneurial heart kind of thing. Now, so our plan was originally based off of that. What we ended up finding out was that there's a much bigger market because we've talked about this. If you want the, the clients in the 2K range, that's a, that is significantly smaller. You just made your market a lot smaller than the people who can afford the sub 1K management fee range. So Jake and I have found a very good sweet spot there. Now, what the business didn't account for is what happens to admin when because just do the math here. If you have, let's do, um, let's say you're at the 10K MRGP point. So you've got um, five clients at 2K a month in MRGP for you. That's five invoices to send out, right? It's not bad. It's very easy. You can take care of that yourself. Cut it down to a four. Say each client is only worth 500 MRGP for you. How many invoices are you sending out a month now? That's 20. Now, so in the original business plan, Let's say, again, I'm just throwing out numbers here. Let's say we went from uh, 10K to 20K. We would have gone from 
five to 10 invoices a month to be dealing with. Something as simple as that. Not that big a deal, not that hard to just add five more. To go from 20 to 40, we're now chasing a lot of people for money. And it's it was originally because, so you can see why if we got three people billable and then we switched over and got someone on admin at that point, the timing seems right. It seems appropriate. Um, but when we're working at a lower ticket, a lot of the, and it's not just invoicing, right? There's other things associated with admin too. How do you field inquiries when you have that many clients? You have to route them appropriately, that sort of stuff. It's not like managing ClickUp, like all the projects that have, have to go in and be managed, like it's it's four times as much as a 2K client. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, these, this was my shower thoughts where I was like, okay, Jake, we got to talk. I got to talk to Jake about this because we got to tweak this a little bit. We need somebody to help out sooner than what was originally planned for. So you need to have that kind of mindset and that sort of approach with a business plan. Otherwise, and look, if it's doing nothing or doing what I'm about to say, do this because it's fine. It's better than doing nothing, but you will build and you'll get yourself into a bad spot that you have to backtrack to get yourself out of because you drove, you drove into a bad place where either couldn't grow. So you have to back up and, and course correct or there's a lot of collateral collateral damage, right? You're you're breaking things. Um, so plan, and you need to take the time to do that. And I know this is the opposite to me saying just start because if you're doing one or the other, don't plan too much, right? But this sounds this this topic sounds eerily familiar to an episode we just yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna stop there. I'm gonna stop. <laughs> um, I have one more that I say all the time. Um, I don't know, Jake, you had a lot. I only have one yeah. more. Okay, you want, you want me to mine or you do yours first? Uh, go go ahead and do yours. I feel like you're on okay. a dot process. Some people aren't meant to be entrepreneurs. That's how I feel. Uh, it's okay. You don't have to. I, I think... You partner with one. Yeah. Get on the team, right? I mean, every, they need a right, right-hand man, right-hand woman, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I think when people... When I talk to people who are interested in this sort of thing too, and they just talk about being scared... Or, or being afraid or having fear. Look, I I don't know what that means. It's not that I'm not afraid because I'm afraid of things too. I just feel the fear and then do it anyway, right? I'm more afraid of the inverse. What my life is going to look like if I don't do this. That's what scares me. So YOLO. You said this in another podcast. I can't remember which one. I remember I was listening to it because I listen to our own podcast because I'm weird. But like, <laughs> you, I remember driving on the road and you hearing this and I was like, I don't remember you saying that when I was talking to you, but like now I'm hearing it again. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, no, I agree. I, the last point I had was, well, one, I agree, like, not everybody is meant to be an entrepreneur. And if you're not, but you still want to have your own business and be constrained and partner with someone who is very entrepreneurial. Um, you know, we've talked before that I'm a very zero to one entrepreneur, which means like, I'm really good at getting things started with ideas and uh, moving forward. But um, Cody's the uh, one to 500 or one to a thousand or whatever so like cody creates the processes but he doesn't have like i'm basically the uh the starter to his ignition or uh, i don't get things off the ground yeah i don't yeah um hence this podcast i mean <laughs> yep we still i mean started it. this podcast wise well, i've done everything so far but like uh eventually this podcast might grow to something else where we have like courses or something where like you know you guys can learn a lot more than just from hearing us and at that point, that's something that Cody is probably going to be developing. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the cool thing too, I'm cutting Jake off because I want to say how cool he is. <laughs> when he originally brought up this idea, he basically said like, hey, I want to do this. Like, okay, cool. 
Like I'm, I'm down. I'm not opposed. I don't want to really dedicate the time to it right now. And he said, um, you know, I, I will do it until, you know, we get to a point where if you want to jump in, you can, right. Now that that was very cool. Cause it's one, it's very, uh, considerate and very, um, that's nah, just the word, right? Yeah. Consider it is. Well, it's just like, yeah, you just show up, man. Like I, like I even like <laughs> sent you links to the things you have to get and download. I'm like, this, just do this. I did all the research, just download this. And then that's, yeah, it. you did all the work. And then I just showed up and I even started with a crappy mic and now I got a good mic. Yeah. All right. I have one more point. All right. I'm done. This is an episode. Um, okay. Um, so why marketers or agencies fail is because, uh, they never had their own product, just a rehashed version of something someone else told them to sell. And this kind of falls, I think this kind of falls into the exploiter realm, which is you take a course, a guru, or you know, you follow a guru, and they're like, you can sell this product, and whether it's Amazon FBA, or whether it's like uh, social media marketing, or whatever. Um, if you're selling a product because someone else told you that you could sell it, you should not sell that. Uh, you should be selling a product that you're either good at selling or that you know how to execute on your own because you have experience with it. If you don't have experience with it, then get experience with it and learn it. Um, Again, you don't have to listen to me, but I'm just telling you why I see agencies fail. So if you think what I'm saying is stupid, then fine, prove me wrong. Like do this for five years and then come back to me and let's compare tax records. <laughs> I like, I'm, I'm totally fine. I've, I'm always been an open book. And, uh, the, the thing is, is like, I'm never going to act like I make more money than I do, but I'm also going to call people out when I see, when I, when I see them promoting something that's not uh, accurate because what you're doing when what people do when they do that and it said like I scaled my agency but one guy in one of the groups said he scaled his agency to 20k a month cool respectable but his next goal is 100k a month by next year I'm like dude you will literally be like the top one percent of uh no it was he said one million a month I was like from 20k to one million a month you will be the top one percent of the Inc 5000 fastest growing companies in the world if you do that and I don't think people realize like how unachievable that actually is. And so like immediately I'm like, I'm going to call this out. Like there's no way. And, um, I am willing to share my tax returns if you can share yours, because I, if you, if that is you and you did that, I have a podcast opportunity for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny. I like how much you care about this stuff. Hey, people say like, when I see this, I'm people just like, take advantage, hey, man. I don't know. I, maybe it's the compassion in me. Like I, like people do this to take advantage of other people and sell them their course. Basically like they, they're every time someone's bragging about how much their agency makes, they're always selling something all the time. And like, I don't find us bragging about how much we make or we're just being realistic. Like this is how long it's taken. And we're just trying to set ex expectations, but like this 20 K a month in the first year, bullshit. No, maybe you probably get, you probably have like one or two 20 K months, but then like, that doesn't mean your MRR was that. Yeah, that's people do that. That stuff gets me hot. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I just think it's funny because <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm anytime it, it happens, right? When you're when you're a dude, and then you have the other dudes kind of just try to flex, and they're like, "Yeah, but I did this, and I I really don't care." Like, I not in a jealous way. I just genuinely like, cool, man. Like, and I'll say that I'm like, that's really cool. Dude. Every time someone says that, I like go to their profile and it was like, and it like they sell to marketing agency owners. I'm like, of course, of course you're, you know, it, it's so obvious. Uh, I usually like when it happens, 
because I, I don't spend as much time online, so it occasionally happens in person. And I always just think sometimes I'll even ask people, I'll be like, you okay? <laughs> did, you, did your parents love you when you were younger? Like, it seems like, I don't know, you're trying really hard. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I used to be that way also. Like I used to, I used to have to feel like I had something to prove. Uh-huh. And in some ways I still feel that way. It's, you know, part partially why I do this podcast because it's like I have... I have real, we're getting, we're done touchy feely now. Like I have, we have real success, but real success isn't as sexy as people, what people think it is. No. Yeah. And, and like, I, I want to, you know, it's like halfway between like bragging, but also being like your realistic friend. Like, okay, we made it to where like you want to be, but it took us five years, whereas you want to do it in a year and that's not going to happen. I think it's good that, uh, one, I think it's good that you wanted to do this because I, if it were up to me, I realized this early on. I, I decided this much like years ago at this point that because I like writing and there's a big part of me that would just want to be a writer, um, which puts you in the, the the category of content creator when you're online. And I've seen content creators try to do business and then businesses create content. And I decided that I wanted to be in the second category, not the first because the creators and the you know, people who are making content are at the, you know, what's the word? They have to do what, you know, they have to keep cranking out stuff and putting out the things that other people are willing to pay for or are entertained by. And I just, I thought, you know, what would be cool is if I just made a lot of money and then later on I could write what about whatever I want because I don't need the money. So mm-hmm. there's, but I think people are the most interesting when they're in the growth stage right? When they're actually in the middle of doing it, because what happens is you get these entrepreneurs who they make it right. They, they sell out big, they get the, they get the yacht money with the big check. Um, they have gray hair and now they're a consultant and they help people out, but they're no longer interesting at that. It's not that they're not nice. They, cause their advice is very good. It's just that they're so old that they're no longer as relatable because the things that drove them aren't the same things that drive the young people now. So I think it's good that we do this um, while it's happening so people can see us in real time. Because if it were up to me, I would just let it slide. and I, I'd let it go completely and be like, eh, I just, I'm not going to care enough to, to <laughs> put it out. But I feel like I have a duty to... That's good. That's the word. Yeah. I, I mean, I, because no one else, I feel like no one else is doing, like CoffeeZilla did it for a while on YouTube and then Spencer Cornelia did it for a while. But like, I just feel like people aren't calling out gurus or, or calling out like, the realistic agency space of of what it actually looks like and and if they are i mean they're talking to other agency owners who supposedly make 20 million a year like the tropical mba for instance like they have a couple bangers every now and then but like most of their episodes i'm just like this is just so unrelatable Mm. i can't listen to this and it's all an interview yeah sometimes it feels like drake's later albums right (laughs) i don't know any of Drake's albums (laughs) It's just sad and depressed about how successful he is. Whereas in the beginning, he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm the best. I'm great. And then now he's like, I'm great. And I'm sad and I'm <laughs> depressed. And all I have is money and cars and hoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's relatable. <laughs> yeah, super relatable. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's Jenny's like cooking dinner for me or something. <laughs> she can't hear me. That's fine. All right. Well, we should cut this episode now that we're at <laughs> an hour and 15 minutes it'll probably be cut down to like an hour and a five but still all right uh 
Well, everybody, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. That was, uh, we went off topic a few times, but, and got hot, but, um, but yeah. Spicy. Spicy pod. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll, uh, see you in the next one. See ya.